It's the Auburn Observer Podcast, the weekend edition. Justin Ferguson right here, back in Auburn, Alabama. Painter Sharpless checking in from Parts Unknown. How are we doing, Painter? Hello, brother. Can't complain. So we started this, uh, we, we recorded this on Zoom, um, and we start this podcast, and immediately I look down and I'm like, Painter, I think your sweat sweatshirt's on inside out. And what was your response? Feeling particularly lazy. Feeling lazy. It's okay. All right. So I think Painter's going to use all of his insight and effort and energy into this podcast instead of how he dresses. The offenses were bad. The defenses were good. (laughs) Because we got a lot to talk about because it's not only the Auburn-Tennessee game. We want to talk about uh, Auburn-Texas A&M coming up and also more recruiting, uh, especially on the football end. Uh, from the last time we spoke, so got a lot to get to, um, and uh, let's let's jump right in. Auburn loses forty six forty three to Tennessee in a game that, I mean, being there in Knoxville watching this, it's like I don't know how it came across on TV, Painter, but like the offenses were really bad. I, I mean, there's there's no other way to put it. They couldn't put put shots in, but like I, being there made me. You have more appreciation both ends of the floor, just how well the defenses were playing. Because it, it was a grind. A lot of those shot attempts that either team had were, were tough. And, yes, there were open ones that were just straight up missed, and we'll talk about that. But, like, defensively, we said it coming into the game, Tennessee's got one of the best defenses ever. They're on track to become the first team to hold uh, their opponents to less than 40% in effective field goal percentage since that Kentucky team that lost in the final four after being undefeated. They went 38 and one. Um, you're talking about a team, their adjusted defensive efficiency and their raw defensive efficiency, at least on Kempom is the best they've ever seen. And that goes, that data goes back all the way to 2002. And yet Auburn swung right there with them on defense. Um, this is a Tennessee offense that has a lot of similarities to Auburn. And the fact that they, do go into some cold spells. They don't have a go-to just awesome scorer. They can get cold uh, shooting the ball. But Auburn was swung right there with him. And if you look at this game statistically, you can say, man, you know, Auburn shot poorly and it was such a bad offensive game. And that's true. You can also say that for the for the Tennessee side as well because Auburn held Tennessee on their home floor, by the way, where they don't have the advantage of the crowd, where they don't have the advantage of maybe a favorable whistle. They they hold t- uh, Tennessee twenty seven percent shooting from the field and nine percent from deep. Um, so defense like like this is going to be an interesting way to talk about this game because offensively you can say wow this is like bottom of the barrel in terms of offense that you can get but also on the flip side it's a you know it's a two end game it's one of the best defensive games we've ever seen Auburn play especially against a team like Tennessee who for their flaws is considered. A contender. I mean, they are, and I think that's, I think that's the state of college basketball right now. That people are like, "Wow, how, how could this be the number two team in the country?" It's like, yeah, well, I mean, look around, look around. I, I, I think, I think Alabama's a better team. I also saw Alabama just go get smoked by Oklahoma. They, you know, have had some games where they've go, you know, LSU hung around with them for a little while uh, on Saturday. It's just that it's college basketball. It's got there is not a truly dominant. Oh, this team's got it. You know, they're loaded with a bunch of talent. Duke and North Carolina played on Saturday night. Neither team were ranked. I mean, like, it, that's just kind of how college basketball is this season. So, 
all that to say, this is going to be kind of an uneven way to describe this game because as much of the good stuff you can, or the bad stuff you can say about Auburn, you can say a lot of good stuff as well. I think the problem though, Painter, is that you can talk about Auburn's defense, you can talk about their rebounding, you can talk about their composure, their fight, and all that. All those are awesome things, and they did exceptionally well in that area. But at the end of the day, the sport of basketball is about putting the ball through the net, and Auburn just did not do that enough, and they just needed to be like merely bad at shooting the ball instead of thoroughly awful at shooting the ball, and they win this game. And that's what's so frustrating, I think, for Auburn is that now in two different ways, you see these back-to-back Saturday games on the road, you lose them by three, and it's just like, man, West Virginia gets an unreal effort from Eric Stevenson shooting the ball. They end up winning that game by three. Auburn has one of their worst shooting performances ever, and they lose the game by three. They're missed opportunities. They're not, you know, again, with the way college basketball is this year, when you lose quad one games by three points, you're not going to get docked too much. You know, uh, we'll see what Auburn's projected, you know, in the in the NCAA tournament field. But right now, 7-8 seed is probably where you're going to kind of see them. At, and they moved up in Kimbom after losing this game because Auburn was about a nine-and-a-half, ten-point dog. They only lose by three. So it's it's brutal. It's it's rough. It's all that. There's positives. There's negatives. But the, 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 the end of the day is, is, like, this game is just about putting the ball through the net. And Tennessee did that, a, I mean, marginally better than Auburn did, and that's why they won. Two quick points, the first being more tangential. This is, as you mentioned, obviously a very good Tennessee team. It will be a funny twist if this is the group of players with this style of basketball that makes an actual run in the tournament because their play is so ugly and because Barnes and his teams have had trouble making deep runs. I don't see that. I don't see that happening. Well, that's right. I I mean, they they meet one good team that shoots the ball well, and I feel like they could be in some trouble, potentially. Um, I don't know if there's anything else you want to add there. Uh, I mean, I talked to some guys who covered Tennessee yesterday when I was in Knoxville, and it's just I think the the sense is for Tennessee is like, okay, what who are they going to run into that's going to catch them? Like last year was Michigan. Last year they lose to Michigan uh, in a game where you know in the second round, and Michigan had a good offense and, and hit their shots. It's going to come out into matchups with them. They have again, like I said, maybe one of the best defenses we've ever seen in modern college basketball. They're also 61st on Kempom and adjusted offensive efficiency. Newsflash, that is worse than Auburn is. They're 235 in effective field goal percentage. They're just they're just not a very good offensive team. And they're they're flawed. They're a they're really good, but they've got flaws. And you can win with defense, but it's just like at some point in time, like you're gonna have again, like with Auburn in this game, you just gotta you gotta have the offense at some point. And you look at some of the games. I mean, they have to play Alabama. Um, you know, they they play some they play some teams coming up. Uh, Missouri uh, being one of them. They do play A and M. They do play Kentucky. They're going to play some good offenses here before the end of the season. And I just I I don't know. Like if it, if this is the team, it's going to be pretty pretty impressive because they they like Auburn. They don't have a guy that you can just lean on and say, all right, go get some buckets. Like. On Saturday, Josiah Jordan-James had a good game, but he's also 1-7 from deep. It wasn't like he was hitting everything he wanted. Now, his ability to hit mid-range jumpers in this game ended up being pretty crucial because Auburn didn't have a guy like that. Um, they weren't hitting their, those shots. Jalen Williams did not have that, that kind of game for him. But, yeah, I just I, 
I have my doubts. I, ha- I have my doubts, considering when you look at the rest of the top teams in college basketball this year, Houston, Purdue, Alabama, um, and then some others in that top 10, top 10 sphere that have really, really good offenses. And it's like, it's, it's, it's very clear that, you know, some of those teams have awesome defenses as well. It's just, I don't think there's a contender that is so lopsided in what they can do well and what they can not do well than, than Tennessee. Correct me if I'm wrong. There might be an outlier, but historically teams that wind up winning the tournament tend to have a top 30, top 35 offense, don't they? Yeah, I mean, like you, you, you can go back to obviously the the year where Auburn, um, you know, nearly won the national title. They lose to they lose to Virginia in the Final Four. Everybody remembers that Virginia team for being elite on defense, right? Like that slow pace, grind it out, choke them out kind of kind of defense. They're also the number two team in the country on offense that year. They just played it really really slow, but they but they shot well. They didn't turn the ball over, um, and they can put up some points. Efficiency wise, it wasn't. You know, because of the fact they played so slow, I think it was the slowest team in college basketball that year. Um, but yeah, you have to you have to bring you have to bring the offensive firepower to the dance. Like this is very similar to college football, where having an awesome defense is great. Like I will point out, um, you know, in college college football this year, uh, if you look at let's see, we're going to go to total defense yards per play. Um, the top teams were Iowa and Illinois and Marshall. And Penn State and Cincinnati and Michigan, Troy, Iowa State, James Madison. On offense, total offense this season, you get Ohio State, Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama's back in there as well, Oregon. Like you have to have TCU is is fourteenth. Like TCU got to the national title game without having an awesome defense. You have to bring the offense because at, at some point defense is gonna break down. And in this game, what makes this interesting to me, Painter, is that, I mean, I don't know how it came across on TV. Like, Auburn got good looks. And I asked I asked Bruce Pearl about this after the game. I was like, do, are you going to feel like the – I said, do you feel like y'all had a quality looks they just weren't going down? And he said, I think we're going to go back and watch the film and see that we had a lot of open shots and open opportunities. I mean, there was that Chris Moore three that all it did was not go through the net. It did every other thing you want to do on a possession to end in a three-pointer, and it didn't go in. They Auburn had a number of those really good open threes rattle out. And, yeah, they took a lot of threes in this game. But also, it's like that's what you got to do against Tennessee because their interior defense, three through five, they are monsters. Whereas one and the two, a little on the shorter end, you're going to be able to get some of those open looks. And it's just those come a lot more – naturally and yeah I mean Auburn's late game execution was was bad on offense and Bruce Pearl took a lot of of the blame for that on his shoulders about you know they're they're not they're not doing well enough calling plays and executing plays down the stretch when they need buckets and I think anybody can see that that is true but they took a lot of threes and it almost won the game and it's just those they were open I mean Auburn missed 24 threes in this game I uh, off the top of my head, I can think about a, about five or six that like looked like they were going in, and they were exactly what you want on those sets. They didn't go in. Auburn loses by three. I, I be, you got to hit just two of them. If two of those that rattle out go in, it's a completely different game. Piggybacking off that thought, uh, Blake Lovell, friend of the program, tweeted this out, and I can't couldn't remember if we discussed this or not recently. He said a noteworthy stat we've discussed in recent videos per Ken Palm, the SEC ranks 32nd out of 32 conferences. 
yeah. and three point uh, percentage in league play at thirty one point two percent. Elite defense has played a role, but it's been interesting to think about how a hot shooting performance can be a huge separator for the season. Someone actually was going back and forth with them, pointing out that this has been a trend with the SEC for a long time. Most most of the years, it ranks toward the bottom of three point percentage. How about this? They rank fourth from the bottom in two point percentage too. It's it's just offense is just hard to come by in the in the league this year in games in conference games. So if you do get hot, I mean we saw this, you know South Carolina getting unreal hot and beating Kentucky on the road. We saw Texas A and M shooting really well for a stretch and then beating Auburn that way. We have seen that happen and be the difference maker this year. Yeah, this is. Brutal. I mean, just absolutely brutal uh, uh, to watch sometimes because the ball is just not going through the net. And I think there is, like for Auburn's case, it's lit. It's not that they're, it's not that they're completely deficient of drawing up good plays and getting good looks or having guys who can score. There have been times this year where, I mean, you, you've seen Alan Flanagan and, and Janai Broom and Wendell Green Jr. and Jalen Williams, you know, get up to twenty points around twenty points uh, you know, on on a given night. The problem is. For Auburn, they don't have a they don't have a a shooter, a, a guy that you feel like is just going to be you don't want to say automatic, but they're going to hit their three pointers when they're open, right? Auburn's is they can be open and they might hit them, but they have not had that go to guy. They are the second worst power conference team in the country in shooting threes. They're one of the worst period at shooting threes, especially after Saturday's game, and it's like. You look at the numbers. I like Jalen Williams is thirty four point eight percent. Alan Flanagan is thirty two point nine percent. Those aren't like knock them down type of like you know that it's going to be a high high level of efficiency there from from three point land. Meanwhile, you know, I guess <laughs> we've we've talked about it uh, long long enough. You have a high volume three point shooter in Santiago Vescovi for Tennessee. He hits his four point play late with the foul called on him. Wendell Green Jr. doesn't get his through contact. Obviously, different fouls and and, and all that. The final possession, so here's the thing. It's a tough look to try to draw up uh, for for Auburn. It's a foul. It's it's clearly a foul. He's not straight up. He's leaning in. He doesn't give Wendell Green Jr. his landing zone. It's the same thing they called called Auburn for, for Katie Johnson for on Vescovi's foul, which ended up being... Tennessee's last bucket of the game. It's fouls. Refs, it's refs don't like to call fouls in the last 30 seconds no, or, or they, minute. They, especially, and, you know. especially when the home team is the one playing defense. That it's, it's just true. And Bruce Pearl said it after the game. We did not get um, affected by the home environment, by the tough environment. And, he, and, he, and then he paused and he said, we did not get affected by the home environment. Obviously, Obviously, a clear message to the, to the guys in the stripes. And I saw, like, there was a Tennessee guy. I can't remember who it was, but there's a Tennessee guy who was like, "Hey, if you're if you want to complain about the the last, you know, the the last foul or not non call on Wendell Green Jr., what about the the steal that Auburn got to to create that last last opportunity or down the stretch where Auburn presses." And Tennessee fans wanted a foul, and they don't call it, and Auburn gets the ball. And it's like, 
yeah, brother, you don't have to put a gun to my head and say and say you know and get me to say that college basketball officials are bad on on both sides, right? You don't have to. You don't have to. Me personally, I don't have to sit sit there and say like, oh yeah, only bad calls went against Auburn in this game. No, they're just that was just a poorly officiated game. Um, they got out of control. Uh, they the the officiating was very uneven. Um, there were things that were called fouls and flops that were not called later in the game. Like it's just it, it needs to be even and consistent. And that's the thing. It's like okay, if you have a definition of this is what a foul is going to be, or this is what we're going to define the landing zone and all that for three-pointers, and this is what we're going to define in, like, exaggerating contact, make it even throughout the game, right? I, yes, Tennessee, you can – Tennessee fans could point to a lot of things in that game and say, hey, we feel like we got hosed on the on those calls. Auburn, because they're the team that lost and they were the team that got on the wrong end of the last call, has a lot to gripe about. But, like – no, this is not going to be a situation where you say, you know, oh well, you know what what happened to this and this and this for Tennessee. It's like, yeah, man, they suck at their jobs. Like I like I don't know other what other way to put it. This the officiating, especially in the Southeastern Conference, uh, and it's not they're not quote unquote SEC refs. They 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 ref everywhere, but it's just bad. It's just bad, and it and it really really hurts teams when you can't feel like you're getting like you don't know what's going to happen on any given play because it's so uneven on what's a foul, what's not a foul. And like, that's the gripe. That's, that's the big gripe with the end game for Auburn and why Bruce Pearl was so upset. And so many players for Auburn were so upset is that, look, you go and watch that replay. That's a foul. That's a foul. If that's okay. How about this painter? If that play is if that exact play takes place with 15 minutes left on the clock, it's a foul every single time. If it happens with 2 minutes left on the clock, it's a foul every single time. But the fact that you have to you have to I mean, I would say like like the fact that you don't have to get knocked down or, you know, draw blood in the to get a foul called in the last seconds. I don't even have to say that because like Wendell Green Jr. got knocked to the floor. Now, did he have his leg out? Did was he was he trying to, you know, get the landing zone and and all that? Yeah, absolutely. But it's a foul. It's contact. It's enough. If if it's a foul on Katie Johnson on Vescovi's three pointer, it's definitely a foul at the end on. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to butcher his name. Olivier, Olivier uh, the big man for Tennessee. It's just, yeah, this bad. It's just bad, and it, and it's. You know, it's obviously if you're an Auburn fan listening to this, or if you're me, a team, a guy who covers Auburn and, and drawing a lot of attention to that last play, yeah, that's going to come natural. But it was just bad all around, and you know, you're not going to hit me with a gotcha or anything like that and be like, "Oh, what about this?" Like, yeah, man, <laughs> they're bad. They're bad. You don't have to. You don't have to. You don't have to force me to say that. It is funny to me when fans are like, "Well, we got hosed too, so it's fine." I mean, wouldn't you? just want the officiating to resemble something that shows like a modicum of consistency. You have yes. to watch the game too for 40 minutes. And, and yeah, I mean, I don't think there's a good answer for this, right? The officials uh, have been bad for a long time and probably it's not getting much better. However, mm. I'd like to think it could improve slightly. Yeah. I read about it in the observations, but it was like, 
that one possession, or those, if you want to count the Viscovi four point play as well, those two possessions, those are two possessions in like 130 something that happened in a game. So when you lose by, by three, obviously what happens at the end and getting an opportunity to potentially go, force the game into overtime would have been huge. You know, there's no guarantees of what happened after that. There, there's obviously gripes. There's obviously enough reason to be like, you know what, the, we feel like we got hosed on that if you're Auburn. 100%. I get that. I think it's true that he has to go then and make three free throws, which mm-hmm. is going to be tough. And Tennessee was better. Yeah, I mean, they led for, after Auburn's hot start, they led for most of the game. And they had... The difference in this game is they had a guy, Josiah Jordan James, who hit, I think he was four or five on two-point field goals, and I think, if not all four of them, I think at least three of them were mid-range jumpers. Like, he he had a little bit more. Like, the, he was the better player in this game, uh, and that was a difference maker. So, it you know, it was about to be a robbery, too, because, like, <laughs> if Auburn wins that game, they went over 20 minutes of game time hitting one shot. One Uno, one shot, and it was the toughest shot possible because it was Wendell Green hit one from half court, basically. And so, that's the thing for Auburn is just like, all right, could you have just been less bad shooting the ball and 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 hitting those hitting those open opportunities? You got to hit open shots. It's the thing. You can sit here and say, well, those are some tough looks, and and you know, should have hit this shot or this shot or this mid range jumper or this turnover all that. Keep in mind, Auburn's defense was doing the exact same thing on the other end of the floor to Tennessee. The difference was in this game, it's just like Auburn's got to hit their open shots, and they didn't in this one, and that's why and that's why they lost. And Tennessee got a little bit more. They just got a little bit more, and it was enough to win. Like, even if you want to strip away the ending and the foul calls, like Tennessee did a little bit better with their offense in this game, and that's why they won. Um and I think a lot of it just comes – they had fewer turnovers. They hit a few more shots. A lot of it comes down to Josiah Jordan-James was the best player on the floor. Josiah Jordan-James is also a guy who was a five-star who has now played <laughs> – this is now his fourth season at, at Tennessee. Like, you know, that stood out. He, he played well at home. Auburn, on the other end, it's just – they've lost three games this year. Auburn has lost three games this year on the road by three points each. USC, which obviously had the – had the uh, injury to, to Wendell Green Jr. West Virginia, which obviously had Eric Stevenson losing his mind shooting the ball. And now this this ending against Tennessee. In those three games, Auburn shot 17-69 from deep, which is 24.6%. Again, if Auburn was just merely not good at th- three-point shooting instead of one of the worst in the country, maybe they win all three of those games. And that's what's frustrating, I think, the most for this team is that what they do and what they're good at and some of the strengths they have can be enough to win games. It's just they are they have a big, big issue in the fact that they just can't hit shots. They just can't hit even open shot on a consistent enough basis. And that's what's gonna hold this team back. It's what's I mean, yeah, the Georgia game and the and the Memphis game, they just didn't have it on either end of the floor in those games. Um AM as well. But there have been a number of opportunities this season where you could say Man, what what would Auburn have done if they'd have just been if they'd have just been a little I mean just a fraction better at shooting the ball? And this game is the real tough one because you go three from twenty seven from deep, and a lot of those looks were good. I mean, I don't remember a ton of forced threes in this game. They just didn't go down because 
Auburn, that has just been Auburn's problem this year. They do not have consistent shooters. The guys who take a lot for them are not high-efficiency guys, and some of the guys that have better clips, you know, are not, you know, they're not guys that are, you know, proven three-point gunners, you know. Maybe you'll have a game like the other night where Alan Flanagan hits hits well from deep. Well, Alan Flanagan's not a guy that if he takes eight or nine, ten threes a game, he's going to hit a, a ton of them. The other thing about this game that I thought was was interesting is just how kind of gun shy Auburn's offense did that. I don't know how how that came across. A lot of miss, a lot of open shots that they just passed up, especially yeah, in the was, second half. Was, there was one in particular with Allen, and you just mentioned him, and so I think it came to the forefront of my mind where I was like, you, that was a wide open three, and I've seen you take that look before. And hey, I don't, you know, the game flow is different for each game. People feel differently when you get into a rhythm when you're playing a good defense. So I, it's hard to put myself in their shoes. But yes, yeah. that was something that was obvious to me at a few points. Yeah, I think it was just you know they got scared off from some looks from time to time because they weren't shooting well, right? And then it comes to the point where it's like, man, do I want to take this shot? Like nothing's going right for us right now, and you don't want to be the guy to keep it going, I guess. And so that was where. You needed to be a little bit more aggressive, hunt your shots more um, on offense. But again, it wasn't like Auburn got to the end of the game and you said, well, they didn't have any opportunities or they just turned the ball over a ton or they weren't running offenses. Like, Here's the cool thing. Just because a play, just because an offensive set doesn't work and doesn't end in a bucket doesn't mean they didn't run a play. <laughs> I mean, Tennessee just made – Tennessee took away a lot of what Auburn wanted to do on those on those opportunities, yes, there were sets where Auburn looked like you know, they got late in the shot clock and nothing was really happening. There were some like that, but it wasn't like Auburn. If you go back and watch the game, you will see a number of opportunities where Auburn gets a look and it just doesn't go down. And they get the shot they want, they get the look that they want, and nope, not going in. And Tennessee will do that to you because Tennessee again is an incredible defense that might be one of the best we've ever seen at the major college basketball level, at least in the last 20, 20 or 30 years. The difference here for Auburn was that they just they just couldn't hit the open ones that they had because that's just been a problem for them all year long. And it really, really hurts you when you play a team that is the number two team in the country, that is on their home floor, that does have a defense like this. You're not going to get the opportunities that you got. I mean, they scored 94 against Georgia the other night. Tennessee is far and away a different defense than, than than Georgia is. And so it's not like they're incapable. It's just they're way, way too inconsistent. And more often than not, they're on the bad side of inconsistent when it comes to shooting the ball. And it's put, put it through the net. They couldn't do it. The only thing I'll add is something that we've discussed already. Auburn has some attributes that make it a really tough out. However, its deficiencies will also always limit the ceiling especially against teams like Tennessee that are comparably talented, if not more so, and are able to defend well. I, I, I think the staff is really in for a tough go, not only because the schedule sets up how it does down the stretch, but there's just some, some of these deficiencies you can't coach around them. No, it's just you, you have to hit open shots. And I think when you look at, and we'll talk about it probably some a little bit later, when you look at the moving forward for Auburn, they got to get shooters again. 
right? And they try they try to get a, a you know a guy that would have been a more consistent shooter for them in the portal this year, and it didn't work out. And they stayed loyal to their guards, and we've talked about that a ton this the this season. If you've listened to the show, however, you look at the future. Aiden Holloway is a bucket getter. I mean, that's a dude who will shoot it from anywhere on the floor. You do pick up some 2024 guys that can get hot offensively that are great weapons on that end of the floor. And, you know, LeBaron Phylon, who we'll talk about in a little bit, and then we'll talk about all of them. But uh, you also got a case of Tahad Pettiford. Again, offense is his bread and butter. And it's like they're get, the reinforcements are coming on the offensive end of the floor. It's just right now it's, it's tough. And, you know, I would imagine – Depending on how the roster looks next year, you do know that you're not going to have Zepp Jasper back. You know that is a is a guarantee. But you know, are you able to get some more firepower shooting the ball in the transfer portal? You know, how much does Holloway help you out? How much does maybe a healthy Chance Westry help you out? Like, there's there's a lot to that. So it's not like, you know, it's not like Auburn's going to have to sit back and, and you know rest on their laurels. I will say though, in this game in particular, there was a stretch there where Auburn. When they were struggling, it was because really good guards were tearing them up, and starting backcourts were giving them all they got on offense. We saw Auburn do an excellent job against Terry Roberts and Cario Kendo last week against Georgia. In this game, they did the exact same thing against Tennessee. Now I know Zakai Ziegler and Santiago Vescovi aren't, you know, twenty-point game guys every night, but. They have like when they're hot, they are really, really good. Ziegler has played some awesome basketball this season, and Viscovi has the ability to, to really catch fire, especially from deep. In this game, Zakai Ziegler goes 0 of 10 from the field, 0 of 7 from deep. He does he does have six assists, which so he still impacts the game on offense. But they made things really, really tough on him. the The game plan on defense was perfect. Uh, once again, Auburn had exactly drew up exactly what they needed to do to slow Ziegler and Viscovi down. I think Auburn's guards really stepped up to the occasion. And then the wings and the forwards held their own. James hitting those shots um, that Auburn couldn't get did matter in this one. But you look at rebounding, Tennessee's the best offensive rebounding team in the country. Auburn holds their own on the boards there. Tennessee does get more second-chance points, but they don't go crazy in that in that aspect. So you do end up being able to hold things off. Winogren Jr. gets a ton of boards. Jalen Williams, Janai Broom, Alan Flanagan, all of them really, really do a lot of hard work. There was a lot of grown man rebounding happening in, in that game. And so for Auburn, I think it's their defense has stepped up here. Since the A&M game, you've seen them really take some strides forward. Obviously, Eric Stevenson hitting a lot of tough contested threes against West Virginia was tough, but we've now seen back-to-back games where Auburn has been able to shut down an opposing backcourt. That is very crucial because they're about to play A&M again, and A&M is coming off a game against – Georgia, where Tyrese Radford had 15 and Wade Taylor um, hit a couple threes. And, you know, they were able to just to cruise. They're they're kind of in a groove right now. Um, they've won three out of their last four, including that one against Auburn. Uh, Radford had, let's see, Radford had 17 and Wade Taylor had 18 the other night against Arkansas. Like, that's that's the game right there for Auburn. When you go to A&M on Saturday, uh, and, or I'm sorry, on Tuesday – Whoops. Um and and try to uh try to come out of there with a win that you that you really really need. You look at Auburn, they've got they had this game against Tennessee. They got this they got this quad one game coming up against Texas A&M, and then obviously the home game against Alabama. College the anyway is going to be there. It's going to be a huge atmosphere and environment. 
you got it. You felt like you got to take one of them, and Tennessee was probably going to be the toughest one since it was away from home against an elite defense. A and M, this is a big opportunity because if you win this game, and you know Auburn, that'll be a close game. I think in terms of where it's projected and and the you know the point spread and all that. But it's like we saw Auburn learn its lesson from the Georgia game and turn around and beat Georgia in the rematch by shutting down their backcourt. It's going to be a lot tougher to do it away from home. It's going to be a lot tougher to do it against A&M because of their size. But can Auburn's defense make it another game in a row? That's going to be the key in this one. If they can do that, you feel better about their chances of coming out of there with a win because A&M, you know, on the defensive end of the floor, defense is not their great strength. And we know in that first matchup against Auburn, they got uncharacteristically hot from three-pointer uh, from three-point land at the beginning of the game. Um, that cap it to him. So for Auburn, can you pick off one of these next two is going to be huge. You had a chance against Tennessee and it hurts. Now it's, can you do that against an A&M team that, you know, you will not be favored in. Uh, but if you win that game, it's a, it's a resume booster. It goes a long way in, in helping you potentially get, um, to, uh, you know, a double buy in the SEC tournament and help your help your case out for seeding in the NCAA tournament. You got four weeks left. Auburn is going to be favored in three games, and those are all coming in a row. Can you take advantage of one of these early on and continue, continue to build up? Whether it's Alabama at home, which will be very very tough, or will if it will be A and M on the road on on Tuesday night. But the 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 question is, I mean, Auburn has played two awesome games on defense uh, when it comes to you know, taking care of their matchups, running that game plan well. Can they do that and beat A and M? That's that's my that's gonna be the big question. That's what's gonna determine who wins or loses. The way I was looking at the last nine games of the schedule, if you count that Tennessee game and now we know the result, I was sort of breaking it up into three games apiece, right? Could you win two out of three against Tennessee, A and M and Alabama, all of which obviously difficult Auburn hasn't been good as the underdog this season then you got those three games you mentioned where you should be the favorite and you need to go three and oh there and then can you win one of the three against Kentucky Alabama Tennessee considering who you're playing and where you're playing and that's a best case scenario right winning two or three then winning all three and then stealing one against Kentucky or Alabama away from home I don't think either of those are very likely so I guess your best bet is that last game of the season at Tennessee home, at home against Tennessee yeah. um so yeah I, I don't know if I really have a good point other than trying to figure out where Auburn yeah. can steal a couple of wins here yeah and, and Bruce Pearl said like that that's what they need to do they've got to win a game or two where they're not going to be favored and A&M is going to be a good opportunity to do that and then the home games obviously against Bama and Tennessee will be other good spots if they do that you get to twelve and six. Twelve and six should be enough to potentially be the third number three team in the league this year, which would be exceeding expectations if you were Auburn coming into the season. Um, and it would put you firmly in a good spot for the NCAA tournament. Eleven and seven, which is what they're currently projected at right now, which is picking off one of these games and then winning the other three. That could get you the fourth seed. It just depends on how the tiebreakers will all shake out. Florida and Kentucky are gonna be the other teams to watch there. Uh, in that battle, and obviously Auburn's got the head-to-head against Florida. We'll see what they can do with the head-to-head against Kentucky here in a few weeks. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, for Auburn, 
literally you can feel good about everything that you did except for the physical act of putting the ball through the net. And the problem is that's the most important thing about about the sport. Uh, but for Auburn, I think, again, for a team that does not have as much talent or as much scoring firepower as, as some of these teams that they're playing here um, this season, I do think they sh- this team, with their experience and their leadership and the coaching that has been done and the game planning that's been done, they deserve a lot of credit for being able to manage this stretch fairly well and the fact that they're not you know they haven't gotten really hammered yet outside of the A&M game that's going to be the that's going to be the key it, they have lost three out of four this week is going to be tough you know you knew you knew that was coming and that was that was why Auburn picking up as many wins as they did in the first half of the schedule in the first half of the season uh it was so very important so it's that A&M game that A&M game is definitely gettable I mean Arkansas beat A&M at home by a decent bet earlier this week uh, Georgia was without Terry Roberts, and Georgia's kind of falling apart right now. Uh, but you know it's going to be tough. I mean, you'll, you you got to win games on the road in the SEC by any means necessary. Uh, but I just think how much of a lift it would be for Auburn if they could win on Tuesday night against A and M, get that extra day of rest, so to speak, and preparation for Alabama, and know that that place is going to be an absolute madhouse on Saturday, especially if you're coming off of a win. All right, before we move on and talk some recruiting on both the football and the basketball, and 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 a little football and. There's also one very special topic that I did not tell Painter we were going to be talking about that I want to get to before we go. But before we get to all that, let's take care care of some business. If you're listening to this, thank you for uh, for tuning in. Uh, I know a lot of you listen to the uh, free podcast here each week, and we appreciate all of you. If you do listen to the free podcast, uh, if you can help us out by uh, doing a quick little thing uh, that uh, Painter will describe for you right now. Rate, review, subscribe, doesn't cost you anything. Takes about 20 seconds, five stars, little line or two about the show. Um, It can be nonsensical, it can be detailed. Some of you go all out, some of you just say following instructions, we'll take it. Mm -hmm. And then mash that subscribe button, follow the show, that way uh, you get those in your feed. And also, obviously, uh, tell folks that might be interested. Plenty of Auburn fans, I'm sure, in your life, and we would love to bring them into the inner circle. Absolutely, and if you want to be a part of the inner circle... Uh, you get a newsletter or a podcast pretty much every day of the week, sometimes two a day uh, at about 6 a.m. Central Time. It gets sent straight to your email inbox so you can read and listen whenever you want to. It's the easiest way to get everything that we've got going on here. Don't have to go to the website. We send everything straight to you. You can read it in your you know, email app, your, on your computer, on your phone. It's super, super easy. And obviously we have a lot of different ways you can listen to the podcast. If you are a member of the Inner Circle, if you do subscribe to The Observer, you get twice as much of this podcast. So Painter and I do this on the weekends, and then we also do one in the midweek uh, just for subscribers. So it's twice as much as this show. We also give you Friends of the Program, uh, which is the fan podcast with Painter, Dave, and Pablo um, that uh, that I'm sure we'll have uh, another episode here coming up in the near future because um, there's been a lot going on on Auburn. I know, I know Dave... If Auburn, Dave, I believe Dave tweeted the other day that if Auburn would have won against Tennessee, they would have had to take him to jail um, just because of the way Auburn's kind of catching fire right now on the recruiting trail. Some of you have uh, personal grudges against certain teams. Maybe you grew up in a region. Well, that is obviously Tennessee for David. David has never, uh, no love lost between the Vols and David McKinney. Yeah, I feel like. 
we've talked about it before. It's like there, you know, if you if you grew up or if you live in Georgia, you may have more of a hatred of the dogs than you do the Tide. If you grew up in Alabama, obviously, in the classic Iron Bowl rivalry, you have that. Dave's one of the few that I think Tennessee is that for him, uh, or at least close. You know, it, you know, ranks really, really high. Also, like, I'm just throwing this out here. Florida, it's such a historic rivalry. If you're from Florida or live in Florida and you have that, you feel that same way about the Gators, let us know. I mean, I, I, I'm interested to see how many of y'all out there, like, because it's, the, it's either you either hate Alabama more or you hate Georgia more, and then you have these, like, special pockets where it's just like, yeah, you might not play them every year, but, man, you cannot stand this team. And it's like Tennessee, uh, Florida. I'm sure some of y'all who are at LSU and Arkansas or in Louisiana and Arkansas feel the same way. I know there are some of y'all who live in Texas who feel that way about the about the Aggies, uh, even though they're newer to the league. So, anyway, it's just kind of fun little nature of how everybody's fandom is different, which is, which is really unique and special. Anyway. Subscribe to the Auburn Observer. There's a link in the description, or if you're getting an email version of this, you can hit the button to subscribe. It's just $6 a month, or you can pay $60 up front, which means you get two months free, uh, according to the to the wonderful world of math. And you get everything we do. All of our newsletters, all of our podcasts, sent straight to your email inbox. You're in, Once you're in, you're in. And um, it's the easiest way to get keep up. There's a lot going on. I mean, I was in Knoxville this weekend for, for basketball. I'm, a, I'm going to College Station for for basketball uh, on Tuesday. Looking forward to that. We also, and we'll get into this a little bit here shortly, we also talked to every football coach for Auburn for at least a half hour on Thursday. Um, so all the assistant coaches and uh, Hugh Freeze. There's a lot of stuff that's coming out, out, out of that um, that's going to really carry us for the next month. So there's going to be a lot of football stuff and basketball stuff until we get to the stretch run of the of, of basketball season, heading into the SEC tournament, spring football starting at the end of the month. There's never been a better time to sign up. So auburnobserver.com, it's $6 a month or $60 a year, like I said, to sign up. Or you can give us a free trial. Check us out for a week. If you like, like what you see, you can stay on board, and we would love to have you on. Also, let's shout out our friends at Homefield Apparel, homefieldapparel.com, the number one place to buy uh, vintage collegiate apparel it's the most comfortable stuff you're going to wear period i am currently wearing a home field shirt uh, given given to me uh by uh one of our one of our subscribers uh, out in utah a nice utah state uh shirt that i uh is, is one of my favorites in the collection um but there's a lot of cool auburn stuff there uh and uh, you know they're continuing to add more and more stuff for a lot of different teams each and every week but at you know, auburn you can get basketball t-shirts Football t-shirts, general Auburn t-shirts, some baseball stuff on there. The hoodies are super comfortable. The sweatshirts are, are amazing. Um, it's it's the best you're going to get anywhere. And, uh, you know, Homefield has been our one and only partner from the beginning here. And we love Homefield. Uh, but, I mean, let me tell you, our love for Homefield went well, way before we es- established any sort of business relationship with them. Um, we and- were early adopters, Homefield yes. heads. We were early home field heads for sure. You can also buy the official Auburn Observer T-shirt um, if you want to. You know, if you like our logo and think that hey, that, that looks cool, or if you like the show and you want to support us that way, go to homefieldapparel.com, search Auburn Observer T-shirt, get yourself a super comfortable navy T-shirt uh, with the Auburn Observer logo on it. And uh, if you want to get fifteen percent off your very first order from Homefield, just use the promo code Observer when checking out. And uh, yeah. 
thanks to the thanks to the crowd up in Indy. They've got a lot of stuff in the works, uh, and I and I'm again this is speculation on my part. They're refreshing a lot of a lot of cool um, you know teams here over these next few weeks and months. Auburn fans, just keep an eye out. Just keep an eye out. I don't have any inside information, but I, I just have a feeling because of how big the Auburn fan base is to home field. There might be some new Auburn stuff in the you works. You say you don't have any inside information. I don't believe you. Okay, I don't. I, I don't have any inside information about this. I will be a hundred percent honest. I that's just me speculating. They're refreshing a lot of their biggest schools, and Auburn's one of the biggest schools that supports. You're being home a very coy school. boy right now, but I'll, I'll keep my eyes peeled. All right, moving on. Banner. Auburn's new coaching staff took less than two months, or maybe a little bit over two months, depending on how, how the math works, to get their quarterback of the future in Walker White. I This is – there's a lot of recruiting stuff. I mean, the last time we had our podcast, we talked about um, – in, in the premium podcast, we talked about some of the pickups they had. We talked about Pettiford, um, and we'll talk about uh, LeBaron Phylon on the basketball end. But Walker White, who I'm going to accidentally call Walter White for – the in, the entirety of his career probably um, commits to Auburn on Friday afternoon and this is a big time pickup. There was a lot. I think a lot of the the crystal ball projections and the and the predictions were going either Clemson's way or Baylor's way. And bam, here he comes. He's going to commit to Auburn. Uh, Walker White is a six three, two hundred fifteen pound quarterback, so pretty big guy uh, for his age. Um, Quarterback from Little Rock Christian Academy in Arkansas, top 150 player on the composite, top 15 quarterback overall. I think 247's own rankings have him as an even higher rated player. He's going to be a dude that's on the move, I think. Yes, plays at Little Rock Christian Academy. Some people may say, oh, is that private school ball? Nope, they play the second biggest classification of public school ball in the state of Arkansas. He's had two good playoff runs already as a starting quarterback. This past season for Little Rock Christian, Averaged 7.4 yards an attempt. He had 25 touchdowns and 9 interceptions through the air. Here's the other one. Here's the big thing for me. 8.2 yards per carry and 16 rushing touchdowns. Big guy. Not necessarily a guy who's got a ton of jets um, when you watch him, but a guy who knows how to run that zone read, can be a weapon with the ball in his hands, especially in the in the red zone, running the ball, playing 11-on-11 stuff. That You can see where that really fits what Philip Montgomery and Hugh Freeze are trying to build. Um on film, you know, I wrote about it on Saturday if you're a subscriber. Uh, the thing that stands out to me is you watch him on film. He's really steady, balanced in the pocket. He throws a good ball. I'm not a mechanics expert because I've never played the position of quarterback any in my life. To the untrained eye, it looks good. Like though The ball looks good coming out, coming out of his hands. His mechanics look really sharp. Uh, and this is the guy Auburn really wanted in this class. They wanted to take a quarterback in 2024 – and Walker White was the guy that this staff prioritized in the first two months, and it's enough to land him uh, over Baylor, over Clemson, uh, who are both programs that have had more success than Auburn has had here recently. Uh, but a big-time pickup and, and a guy that, uh, you know, he, he committed the other day, Painter, uh, in his announcement. And he I think it was – I think uh, – shout-out to – it was Caleb Jones at Rivals who pointed this out. I think he had 14 or 15 recruits – he said by name at the table and just being like, we want you guys. And so it's like a quarterback can change a lot for a recruiting class. So for him to get the ball rolling like that, I think is really impressive. I mean, we talked about this recently. I'll try not to keep doing it every time this staff does something well on the recruiting trail, but it's like, what the 
was <laughs> Brian Harson doing? I mean, and again, Hugh Freeze and his staff deserve credit. He's proven when he's running a program to be a good recruiter. So I don't know how surprised you can be by this, but it, the turnaround has just been hilarious to watch. And, and they've got a long way to go, right? Because obviously Auburn at the bottom of that blue chip ratio. It remind me doing the math, um, putting you on the spot. Are they still in it with the way the class shook out? I think so. I think they ended up getting into it because of the way they finished the class. Either way, it's close, right? It should be when coming up. It should be coming up short. I think. I think. I think Bud Elliott usually put the, puts those out either in February or early March. He usually does. He usually puts out the updated thing. I, I think they would be in if they aren't in. They're going to be very close to being in. And, and I um, guess it's a matter of like, can Auburn start winning more of those battles against Alabama and Georgia and LSU? Because those teams are going to continue to have a better blue chip ratio. Those are your biggest rivals. Those are the teams competing for SEC titles. It's great to to be in the blue chip ratio, but uh, you know, I think Auburn's going to have to. Oh goodness, they, they have, the staff has a tall task when it comes to recruiting against those three, and I think part of that means winning battles against those programs. Yeah, uh, Hugh Freeze said it last last week uh, when we were in Montgomery for the uh, coaches' clinic. He said we've got to win half of our battles in the state of Alabama. Now, coming off of that, they did get a commitment commitments last week from Jaden Lewis, uh, who's a four star corner, really fast. I mean, this is a guy who ran sub eleven in the hundred. Uh, he's got about a 22 in the 200 already as a as a high school as a high school sophomore. He ran those numbers. It'll be interesting to see what he does as a junior. Uh, he's from Anniston. They pick him up. Amon Lane's already on board as a corner in this class, and then they get Malik Autry from right down the road in Opelika. Malik Autry, um, only a hundred uh, 2025 kids have been ranked yet. Also, Autry doesn't have a ranking, but I would imagine he's going to be kind of kind of close uh, to the. To the top. We talked about it on the last podcast, but real quick, if you if you weren't on there, Malik Autry, 6'6", 280 pounds, as a sophomore in high school. Georgia offered him a scholarship before he even played his first game as a ninth grader. There's a lot of people who are really, really high on him. And so, it's yeah, they're early wins. Some of them get some bigger-name programs in the state of Alabama. It's a big-time pickup for, for Auburn. And I go back to, you were saying, Painter, like the way Auburn is – recruiting you have to take that step forward you have to be in the blue chip ratio you need to push closer to top 10 range because your two biggest rivals are the two biggest recruiting forces on the planet and that that's not slowing down anytime soon secondly the way you recruit you have to recruit that well and then you also have to do some underdog stuff and i thought it was really interesting and i wrote about it on friday you can read it at the observer talking about the pass rush with ron roberts and jeremy garrett the new defensive line coach Ron Roberts, Auburn's new defensive coordinator, said, look, you can't just – you have to be multiple. You have to change things up. You have to do a lot of things differently because you can't just sit in the same base defense or the same front over and over again and expect to win unless I have better players than you. And it's like throughout his career, Delta State, Louisiana Lafayette, uh, Baylor, um, you know, elsewhere, he has not had that. And so I think that's where it kind of comes with Auburn. It's like – at Auburn, he's going to have more talent at his disposal than he's ever had, and Auburn's going to continue to want to raise that level. You're getting a small school defensive coordinator, which I think is a really good spot to be in because he knows that it's like, yeah, you've got to do some things differently. You've got to be aggressive on both ends of, of, of the field. You got to, you've got to do things differently on defense, do things differently on offense to make up for the fact that, yeah, you don't have 
a, a parade of five stars like Georgia and Alabama do. Um, so it's like continue to push forward in recruiting, but also continue to be the team that does things differently and has some underdog tactics, has some upset ability to them. Um, and I think that's where this staff, I think, is really united and kind of on the same page. There is a clear plan. You can see from the top down with Freeze's background, the guys he hired and hired, the, the players they're going after and recruiting, I think more than the last regime, you can kind of see a, a through line where you can say, okay, there, there's a plan here. There's a, there's a consistent, um, the, there's consistent logic through it. Is it going to work? Well, as, as free said the other day, what they do in 24 and 25 is going to determine how successful they are on the, in the recruiting trail. That's going to be, you know, the key factor in how, how much this, this hire and this staff works. But, um, you know, you can at least see right now in the early days where the planning makes sense. They've got a lot of work to do. And like, like we said in the last podcast, Painter, like I do think, you know, I think it's refreshing for me as a guy who covers um, the team and hearing a coach be very honest about what's going on with his program and his roster and, and like all the work they have to do and all the ground they've got to make up. I do wonder, like, how do fans kind of react to that? Like, knowing that, like, you know, you never want your coach to say, yeah, we've got a lot of work to do, or, man, we got to really get this roster going. But I do think, like, yeah, you don't want to be deceived, and you also don't want to have to be up there and be like, you know, well, we're we're, we're just going to continue to work hard and, and, and execute, and uh, if we stick to the plan, and like, you know, you don't want any of that as well either. There seems to be a blueprint that matches where Auburn stands in the pecking order. In, in its own conference and also nationally. And I think that winning the battle against Clemson, I guess Baylor too, was nice. And, you know, of course we draw comparisons between Clemson and Auburn frequently. And Clemson has had the recipe of great quarterback play, great defensive line play, and impressive skill position players. And obviously in the right years, that has worked out very well for Dabo Sweeney and his staff. And when you look at, what Auburn seems to be doing, where it's focusing its efforts, as far as I can tell, uh, some of the staff's history, Freeze's own history, all of that makes sense. All of that seems to check out for what you just mentioned a moment ago, which is what can we realistically do as a staff to position the program to win, given that they're aware that they simply will not have the same level of talent as Alabama and Georgia and even to a lesser extent, LSU and probably Florida. Yeah, I think the thing there is that, you know, Clemson's such a good blueprint. Because I know Clemson, they don't play an SEC schedule. They're in the ACC, and that helps them out a lot. And we've talked about it before. Well, if Auburn was in the ACC, they might be closer to Clemson than, you know, than what they are in in the SEC landscape. But, yeah, be a a top-ten recruiter get awesome quarterback play, develop quarterbacks. And then, and then, yeah, that defensive line thing, like the line of scrimmage here and Jeremy Garrett talk about like how they want to build a defensive line, build a pass rush, how they want to, you know, make things happen. When you talk about Ron Roberts's pass with like creepers and simulate pressures, a lot of that cool stuff that George is doing to torment defenses or torment offenses with their own defense, like doing some of that, Win at the line of scrimmage, win at quarterback, recruit at a level. You don't have to be number one or number two in the country. You don't have to go, you know, all out like A and M may have done with NIL to go get a get a really good class to get the number one class in order to win games, right? And I think that's a good blueprint to have. And that was what 
That's what Freeze was trying to build at Ole Miss. Now, obviously, Ole Miss had a lot more um, restrictions, and 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 you know, there's a ceiling there that's different than at a place like Auburn. Ben Agamawa, Auburn's new tight ends coach, he said something interesting the other day when we when we were talking to him. He pointed out that he thought when he when Auburn when he was at Ole Miss when he was uh, uh, back in the day when he was uh, with with Freeze at Ole Miss, he said, in our time at Ole Miss, whenever we came here, I always looked at this place as a sleeping giant. So to get here now, I'm excited about it. I know with Coach Freeze, there's a chance to get things rolling, and I'm sure all of our coaches are excited about the opportunity to make sure that it is successful. But this place is amazing from the facilities of the people to the community. Welcome in my wife and kids. It's been awesome. But that thing, the sleeping giant, it's like, Auburn has made it to championships. Auburn historically is a top 15 program. They're one, they're, there's only a handful of teams that have either won a national championship or played for a national championship in this era. Auburn's done it twice in this championship game era. But you're about to get into an expanded playoff. You're about to get into maybe a more of a balanced schedule moving forward with the SEC and the expansion, bringing Texas and Oklahoma in. It's like getting closer to that level – it's coming at a great time. We will see what happens with Alabama and their future with Nick Saban, how much longer he, he has it. They're still going to be good no matter what. I think Georgia's Georgia. They're you're 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 taking on the death the death star right now. Um but I do think it's very interesting hearing these guys' perspective coming in and saying, like, hey, we think this place can be like one of the best. Um uh and it's like we we want to be the ones to get them there and get them there more consistently. Because that was the whole thing when they hired Brian Harson, remember, it wasn't the fact that Gus Malzahn didn't have success. It just wasn't consistent enough for what Auburn wanted. It was too high and too low. Now the Harson strategy obviously did not work at all, and now they're kind of kind of try to rebuild that back in an era where I think it's going to be a little bit easier. Oh, well, okay, maybe a little bit more attainable should be the best word. Maybe not easier. Maybe more attainable to be more consistently successful because the pool is about to get a little bit bigger when it comes to, okay, who quote-unquote has a good season, a title-contending season because the playoff expands. Additionally, Auburn picked up some good news in basketball recruiting. We talked about Tahai Petter for the other day. You know, 6'1 point guard from 6'6'1", depending on where you look at, point guard from New Jersey. Um, super explosive. You watch him on film, like he's like dunking, like playing above the rim. Um, really, really impressive uh, on offense, can shoot. Um, I think he's just so quick. He moves really, really well. He's hard to stay in front of, and he uses that uh, in, a, in a variety of ways. I think he's going to be a great Bruce Pearl point guard. It's going to be very interesting to see kind of what the future looks like for uh, Auburn in terms of their guard play because you do have Aiden Holloway. You could have Chance Westry, um, you know, in, in a couple of years still around. Like, what does that all look like? Then you go get LeBaron Phylon, and I talked about it last week. LeBaron Phylon was a player I watched last Tuesday uh, when I was in Mobile for the Senior Bowl, uh, hanging out with some of the guys from 247 and doing recruiting stuff. And we watched LeBaron Phylon play. He is averaging around 40 points a game, maybe a little less than that right now. I think he's had only 25 and only 35 in his last two games only. Um, 6'4 point guard, who I think is going to be more of a combo guy, off-ball guy at Auburn. Um but he commits to Auburn. He's the number one player in the state of Alabama. It's the first time Auburn's gotten a signee, or, or will be if he signs in the 24 class. We the first time Auburn's gotten a signee from the state of Alabama out of high school since Austin Wiley, 
the number first number one player in the state since Daniel Purifoy. Auburn has never had a Mr. Basketball from Alabama sign with them. Obviously, it'll be a couple years before we know if that's the case, but Phylon was the 7A player of the year as a sophomore. He'll probably be 7A player again, year of the player of the year again this year. He's one of the best um, long, athletic, gets to the basket. He creates for others. I think he's a he's a slasher and um, has a good jumper to him. Some, you know, I don't think he's a dead eye like super consistent three point shooter like uh, Aiden Holloway is. But I mean, there have been some games this year. I looked at his stats. There's been some games where he's gone like eight to ten from deep. Like so, he has that ability to kind of heat up uh, from beyond the arc. Uses his his length very well on defense. I, I think his instincts and his ability to attack uh, ball handlers and create havoc. For a high school senior, especially a high school or sorry, high school junior, especially a high school junior who's scoring a ton of game, I really like I really liked his defense. I really liked how he he attacks on that end of the floor. Um, you know, knowing good and well that he's putting a lot of energy and effort into being a great scorer as well. So Auburn gets Phylon committed. Uh they have Peyton Marshall in this class as well, and Pettiford. If Auburn gets another player, period. Point blank, another player, a warm body in the 2024 class. This will be the greatest recruiting class in Auburn basketball history in terms of score. Uh, they are number three in the country right now. They could be number two in some places, I think. Um, this they, they still have plenty of room. I think they want another forward or a wing type to add. They're not going to give up on Ace Bailey, uh, who committed to Rutgers, uh, and, and his high school teammates also committed to Rutgers right now, so I think that played a big part into it. Um, but there's a number of high four stars and even some five star forwards, wings. Auburn's going to keep going after them, and so we knew this 24 class was going to be a big one for Bruce Pearl because that's going to be kind of this part where a lot of these older guys on the team right now will be moving on, will be expiring their eligibility. It's that they're going to go heavy, and look, you got to have the dudes. You got to have the dudes. You got to recruit at a high level. You look at a place like Alabama. They quickly, quickly rebuilt and reloaded this year with a great, with an awesome recruiting class and some transfers. Auburn is going to have to do that here in the next couple of seasons, and they've got it right now. They've got Aiden Holloway coming in, who's a McDonald's All-American for next season. Two years from now, they're on track to add three really big guys, and again, they are not done yet. But a huge week for Bruce Pearl and this team. I know you know, Auburn's lost three out of their last four. This is not a team that's going to contend, it looks like, for an SEC title this year. This is not a team that a lot of people are going to say, oh, watch out for them You know, to be one of the best in the country. However, in a year that's quote-unquote down and off, that still gets you in the NCAA tournament and then off the floor, you're still recruiting at a really, really high level. Um, I think it just shows you what Pearl has built and what this this program has become um, to the fact where, you know, this kind of seems normal at this point that, like, hey, Auburn can kind of get on a heater like this in in basketball recruiting, and that's a testament to, to what they've built so far. All right, Painter, there's one more topic I want to get to before we go, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this. This came up late Saturday night. I just want to – this it, this deals with this deals with a certain – I wouldn't say villain, a recurring villain on this show, but he's definitely someone that, that we've talked about on here before. There was a quote in a story by Pete Thamel on ESPN – from Jim Beheim. And Jim Beheim says this. Quote, 
this is an awful place we're in in college basketball. Pittsburgh bought a team. Okay, fine. My donor, my big donor at Syracuse talks about it, but he doesn't give anyone any money. Nothing. Not one guy. Our guys make like $20,000. Wake Forest bought a team. Miami bought a team. It's like, really? This is where we are? That's really where we are, and it's only going to get worse. It's crazy. That's why those guys got out. That's why Jay Wright got out. That's why Mike Krzyzewski got out. That's the reason they got out. The, pa- the transfer portal and everything is nuts. It really is. What is it with people who have made millions of dollars doing something, being so upset about other people getting a crumb of that? Yeah, that's that. Quit, retire, it, dude. Stop done, doing yeah, it. Yeah, you're old yeah. and whatever. I if it's too much for you to handle, just go to the beach. That's the other thing. It's like Stop he's like, being well, a it's like this is this is why all these other guys got out, right? Like this is why this is why all those guys like that's why Jay Wright's not coaching anymore. That's why Roy's not coaching. That's why Kay's not coaching anymore. It's like, why are you still here then? Why are you still here? David Ubbin made a really good point. Our friend David Ubbin on Twitter. He's like. You know who's not complaining right now? The coaches that are winning. The coaches that are getting stuff done, right? Do you think, like, if you put the, you know, the lasso of truth or whatever from uh, uh, Wonder Woman, if you put it around a, a lot of coaches, how many of you think are like, yeah, we're really cool with NIL and the transfer portal? Not very many. Not very many are, are awesome with that, right? And it's not even from a from a selfish perspective of, like, um, you know, oh, we don't want them to – we don't want players to – you know, have power or, you know, we don't want players to, to benefit. It's more of like, man, this stuff's hard to deal yeah, with. Yeah, If it's too much work, get a new job or in his case, you don't need one. So just stop doing this. What do, what do we say all the time about, about when, when coaches complain painter, what's the, that's what's what the, the money is for, baby. That's what the learn to code. For. I guess that would be <laughs> the other thing, but it's a Jim Beheim, man. Like, okay. So Jim Beheim is, he complained about the transfer portal so much that Jabari Smith decided to skin him alive in the Bahamas, uh, and 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 in defense of Walker Kessler, that's pretty much what that was all about. I mean, we never got that officially on the record, but like, come on, we we know that's that was what's going on. But here we go. Syracuse this year is fourteen and ten. Okay, they have not beaten anybody that's any good. Maybe Virginia Tech at home is their best win this season. Syracuse. You know, will not make it. They're they're cooked. Bayheim Bayheim ain't got it anymore. Um, they didn't make the tournament last year. Had a losing rec- record last year. Uh, they you know went to they went to the Sweet Sixteen during the plague. They didn't make it the year before that. They got knocked down the first round of the year after that. They haven't been better than an eight seed in the NCAA tournament since twenty fourteen. Since twenty fourteen, Jim Bayheim, this world is not for you anymore. This is this is not this is not the universe you were born into, and uh, I think it's going to be better off when everybody, you know, when everybody doesn't have to deal with your stupid two three zone and and, <laughs> and just getting beaten to death in that. You're Syracuse, man. You're Syracuse. Are you telling me Syracuse basketball can't get dudes with nil? Is it you? You talk. You're telling me that. Um, a place like Syracuse that cares as much. I mean, playing the biggest uh, arena in, in college basketball for crying out loud. Like that, that is a, this is a program that should be able to 
stay ahead of the curve. There's no reason Syracuse shouldn't be like Villanova or like uh, UConn or a number of these teams up in the Northeast that have been able to figure it out and stay apart. And, yes, maybe Jay Wright and some of these guys retired. They don't want to deal with it anymore. I get it. I understand it. But the fact that Bayheim keeps doing this is nuts. He's right? 78 and has made tens of millions of dollars. He can stop any time he'd like. And I hope it's very soon because I'm tired of hearing him. He goes off on it on on uh, on the reporters the other day, and it's just it's so petty. The other thing is is that he also he, he it's he also uninteresting. Have... Can you give me yeah. some new data points on why it is you feel so strongly about this, other than the fact that it's different than what you were used to, and maybe causes more work for you? Can I get like we're just rehashing the same complaint? And look, man, I get it. You don't like it. So you got two options here. You can deal with it or you can just go relax with your, you know, wipe your tears up with your money, I guess. The other thing about Bayheim that cracks me up is that he never sticks to it. He never like, okay, so he comes out and man, how hilarious is that quote where he's like, Wake Forest bought a team. Yeah, man, Wake Forest is out here just swinging heavy. Like, I can see it with Miami, if you want to talk about that with Miami, because of how brazen they were with NIL and their and their uh, donors and their boosters were. I get it. But when you're out here saying, Pitt and Wake Forest are beating me right now, give it up, dude. You're done. You're, you're, you're absolutely inward. done. And also, and also, he made that made that quote. And Steve Forbes, the Wake Forest coach, immediately been like, "That's garbage," you know. Right. You know that that's how you grew. And Bayheim already called him to back it off, back off from it. He already called, like you can't even stick to your crazy uh, universe that you've concocted in your head. And I do wonder this. I, I really do wonder this. How much does Jim Bayheim owe his career Carmelo and his legacy Anthony. to Carmelo Anthony? To Carmelo Anthony, because. Look, Bayheim has been the coach uh, at Syracuse since 1976, okay? He won 10 Big East titles, won five Big East tournament titles. He's been to the Final Four five times. He won one national title, okay? Great, you know, career. He's won so many games, all that, blah, 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 blah. Man, like, if he didn't have Carmelo Anthony... If Carmelo, if Carmelo Anthony, he's just a guy. That one championship is doing a lot of work. You're right. He's got a good resume. I mean, that's obviously very impressive. But when you coach for 40-something years. Yes. Like, you'd, you'd like to think you'd make a couple of tournament runs in four decades. I mean, he called out. He was talking about how Jay Wright quit. He's like, at least Jay Wright won multiple national titles in a short amount of time. Who is out here calling out Jay Wright? As far as I can tell, that guy seems to be pretty docile. Maybe I'm mistaken. And then, like, and then, like, K, like, say what you want about K. He won five national titles. <laughs> like, like yeah, Bayheim someone gets, who's not docile, but certainly no, but like Bayheim, but Bayheim gets this. Bayheim gets this. Like, the way he gets talked about is like he gets talked about in these in these ways of like in a tier uh, that it's kind of questionable if he's really in that tier. Right. And like and we he, should be clear: the resume still very good. You know, oh yeah, it's, it's but not... I think it's more of a, I think it's more of like longevity than anything. Yeah, yeah, he gets lumped in with some of the greats, and it's like, no, you've been an ex, uh, a good coach for a long time, but like resume not wise, and, resume and... wise, in a shorter stretch as a head coach, Roy Williams has a better has a better resume than him. It's like I know Syracuse isn't. I don't know, man. It's just it, it cracks me up that like he better owe his entire. I mean, I want to know how much money he's given Carmelo Anthony and said thank you. 
Thank you for making people think that I'm that I'm important. Because if they don't win that national title and he has zero national titles and he's just a guy who's been to a handful of Final Fours, like, yeah, man, like there's, <laughs> you know, what makes him any different than than what makes him any different than like you know any other longtime coach X, Y, or Z that coached in the Big East or some of these old older conferences? I will say this though, uh, you want to you want to get my spice? Here's my spiciest take here. I want to know what's going on at Syracuse, and I don't know if it's one of those things where it's just like, okay, he's too, he's been here too long for us to to for us to get rid of him. Because I'll say this, and I'll stick I'll stick to this: you don't make the tournament in, in three out of your last four years. You haven't been a you haven't been higher than a um, you haven't been higher than a in an eight seed in the last ten, or about to be ten years. Do what I say to that. If Jim Beheim was coaching in the SEC, he'd have been gone. He'd been gone a few years ago. People to run him out. They'd have ran him out of town. You can't hack it here, Jim. Sorry, this world is not for you. I call Jay Wright docile. I don't know if that's right, but he does seem like a nice enough guy who created a good culture. So he did. He created a really, really good culture, and it's just like I don't know. Just Beheim saying like Jay Wright quit because he was tired of nil, and he's complaining about the same stuff. I I don't. It's like I don't know if Jay Wright wants to be like. Listen, man, I've won. I won multiple national championships. Please quit. Please quit talking for me. I'm that guy, and also when I didn't like it, I just stopped. Again, it's just the teams that innovate and do like, do you think Nick Saban is like, you know what? NIL is awesome, man. He was talking about it the other day about how crazy it had gotten and the portal had gotten. Do you think these guys are like, this rules and I'm glad it's here? No. Most of them say no, but do you know what they do? They suck it up and deal with it because they're getting paid millions to deal with it and they can actually innovate and do stuff differently and not sit in that same 2-3 zone all the time and get picked apart by mid-tier SEC, uh, ACC basketball teams that you're crying about that cheated over you. It's also worth remembering that most people have things about their jobs that are either inconveniences or downright like make them consider quitting, but most people don't have the luxury of just being able to decide, you know what, I could quit and everything would be fine. It's 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 crazy. Bam, so, I anyway. hope you're done soon, brother. Brother, I'm tired of hearing about you. I just, I, again, when, when I get it, Two of the better teams in the conference just played a game where they scored a combined 89 points and had like 88 missed shots or whatever it was. <clears throat> I get it. SEC basketball fever, LOL. Uh, the conference. I'm telling you, you wouldn't, you would not last a year down here, Jim Beheim. You stay up there in that big, in that big building, not, uh, that used to be named after an air conditioning company that uh, didn't have air conditioning in it. They ran Mike White off for a lot less than this. At least Mike White made the tournament consistently. All right, that's it. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for listening to us get mad at Jim Beheim at the end. Uh, that was a that that felt like a that felt like a, the closest thing we've done on this show to a we're gonna do a segment of the the radio show. Like that would have been a good like that would have been a good like. All right, we're gonna talk about this for the next fifteen minutes. So it's about the right length, go. you know. It's not really that serious, but you're still getting passionate about it. Absolutely, that's what sports are all about. Anyway, thank you guys for listening. We'll have plenty of stuff. There'll be a newsletter for basketball on Monday, or for football on Monday. We'll have basketball stuff. I'm going to Texas. A lot of football, a lot of basketball on the newsletter side and the podcast side. We'll talk to those of you in the inner circle later this week. Get you ready for that Auburn-Alabama game. See what goes on between Auburn and A&M. And then more developments uh, and and insight from uh, the football side of things. Thanks for listening. 
that's all I got. Painter, final thoughts. It was a foul.